0: ladies and gentlemen welcome back to the pop culture podcast Tyson Popplestone here thank you so much for being here today on the show we got a friend of mine by the name of maddie powell he's also the author of the book *Life on your terms fun little fact for you before we get into the conversation pauli and i uh, met about six years ago in italy where i saw a handsome bloke standing just at the side of a cliff reading a book it was a book focus off the top of my head I went up to him, had a conversation and from there we hit it off. We had so much in common, a love for fitness, a love for improvement, a love for spirituality or at least discovering elements of spirituality and how they apply to our lives. We actually hosted a podcast together back in 2017 called Intention where we would often speak about little life hacks or things that were adding a whole heap of value to both of our lives at that time. It seems to be a common theme of our conversations together Uh, Paulie was an early guest on this show, and today's no exception to a number of the conversations that we had back in the day. Uh, We discuss a whole range of things that we're up to at the moment and why it is that they're adding a whole heap of value to our life, including our marathon training, what we're doing, how we're structuring it, what marathon we're actually training for. More than that, we speak about the relationship between creativity and discipline and following your muse. We also talk about why we're optimistic about the future, despite how chaotic (laughs) Things seem all around the world at the moment. It doesn't matter whether you're looking at university or politics or sport. There seems to be something in the air at the moment, and why we're optimistic about that is a fun one. I recently read a book called The Fourth Turning, and I bring this up in a little more detail because before that, I wasn't overly optimistic about the future. After that, I thought, okay, we're going to be just fine. We also talk about rest days, and I talk more specifically about why it is that I'm starting to take a Sabbath with my family each and every week to hit refresh, recharge, and get ready for a week of creativity ahead. There's also a whole heap in between that. So I hope you enjoy this one. Pally's going to stop by here a couple of times a year, I reckon, and we'll just talk about the things that are making big life changes in our own lives at that time. Always appreciated, not life hacks as much as just things that are adding value to the lives of people that I like listening to. So I hope you find this one as enjoyable as I do when I find them. But for now, let me introduce you to the great man himself, Mr. Matthew Power. What are you going to tell us, tough guys? My usual, zero, nothing. For everyone listening, Matty and I used to host a podcast together called Intention, and uh, we'd catch up on a a weekly or fortnightly basis when we were both living in London and just talk about whatever it was that was was going on. It was it was cool because we were pretty new friends back at the time. We'd only met a few months earlier. And I think we were both pumped about the fact that we're pretty much the same age, got pretty much the same interests and felt like it was like a, a really comfortable kind of, um, it was an excuse to have a bit more of a meaningful conversation. I felt it's so easy to catch up with your mates and just talk shit for an hour, which is fun as well. But I mean, whenever there's a podcast uh, recording taking place, it's a, a good excuse just to to chat about, you know, whether it's something a little bit more serious, a little bit more meaningful, or a good excuse just to find out what's going on beneath the surface.
1: Yeah, I love that, bro. Um, similar age, same age, similar interests, but you're way better looking than me, bro. <laughs>
0: That's not what Jesse says. Jesse says you gotta hold on to him, babe, because if anything happens to you, she's she's cutting in real hard.
1: <laughs> no, I know that's your go to line.
0: <laughs> What's happening, man? What's going on up in Sydney? You've been clocking up a few miles this week.
1: I have, bro, yeah, yeah. Um, just getting in those long, longer weekend runs. So got 30 out the other weekend, which was um which was pretty which was fun, which was yeah, I, I really Enjoyed it two and a half hours on the jog um, Did 25 last weekend. Um, and yeah, just sort of tracking towards this marathon in September, bro, which it's actually about six weeks away. So coming up pretty quick. How um, many half marathons have you done now? Um, maybe like five or six. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You're going to have no trouble. That's pretty good. Like, uh, cause uh, your old man and, and your mum stopped by to visit our new place. We've just moved location, same town, different house, and uh, obviously just around the corner is Ocean Grove where, where your folks are based. And they, they popped in for a morning tea and uh, to give my boy a couple of presents, which is <laughs> which is always good. And yeah, Dino was telling me that you went out for 30K that morning, which is like for six weeks out, that's a, that's, a nice, that's a nice number to get under your belt. Always like with the athletes that I'm coaching, I try and get them to do like four to five runs of like between 30 and 35K or 30 and 32K, maybe with one slightly longer one. But if, if you're running that fairly comfortably, it's amazing on race day, hey, how all of a sudden you just get into a bit more of a flow. And as long as you don't overcook yourself in that first sort of half marathon, first 28, 30 Ks, that last 12 K, I reckon you can just get done. Assuming, you know, you've done some form of um, hydration and getting a little bit of fuel in the tank along the way.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I'm excited. I'm, um, I'm excited to see what, is thrown up on the day actually. And um, kind of s- excited for the mental challenge, I-, I think, for the last dozen or so kilometers there, you know, just to see what how the body responds and then how the mind sort of reacts um, and just to be completely out of that comfort zone because I'm sure it's going to hurt. Um, so, yeah, probably be a bit nervous on the day, but looking forward to it. Um, Dude, I did my first
0: marathon when we got back from London, 2018. And... It was funny because I, I was maybe a little bit naive slash a little bit, not arrogant, but just unaware of the difference between running at like a decent level as a middle distance runner and what's required to actually get out there and do a proper marathon. And I, was, I wasn't like you. I was trying to have a red hot crack in the sense that I'd been training with some good runners and they'd started saying, oh no, you're in pretty good form. And I was like, well, you're a real fast marathon runner. So I guess I'll just aim to run what you run. And dude, I did one 30K run. Um, and I remember that run feeling pretty hard, and I was like, "No, I think I'll be, I think I'll be right." And then it came to race day, and I remember I went through the first half in like an hour 19, and I was like, "Dude, running's the easiest thing in the world. This is such a jog." Tice is back, and then bro, I hit 22k, and I was like, "I don't think I'm going to finish. <laughs> this is the the nastiest experience." But you're right, that last, and you hear about it hitting the wall, or or, or just the pain that you go through in those last 10 to 12k's hopefully not earlier, like my experience was, but it really is such a mental challenge. I remember getting to 30, 32K probably and being like, all right, Tys, just all you're going to do for the next 1K, you're going to clock it in five minutes. So here comes the 32K mark. At 33K, you need to be there in five minutes. So I would hit my watch, And dude, I remember getting about 40 meters in and I was like, yeah, yeah, there's no more five minute case taking place. I had like little cute, fragile old ladies running past me, giving me encouragement. So dude, as long as you are, I mean, as long as you have a better experience than me, well, in fairness, I'm still coming back trying to run another one. So it can't have been too bad.
1: Yeah, no, fingers crossed, fingers (laughs) crossed, mate. Um, um, yeah, hopefully I'll be semi decently prepared, I think for that one. But, um, yeah, those those are uh, the little marathon old ladies. Though you don't underestimate them, mate. They're, they're warriors. They just they just chug on past and just keep on going all day. Hey, so um, definitely can't judge a book by its cover when it comes to to the running and the marathon games. Very humbling. Um, but yeah, bro, how's your training going? What's going on? Oh man, no, no, Actually, why, do you, why are you running, bro? Like, what's what's the motivation? Talk to me,
0: dude. I, I think part of it is obviously because it was such a big part of my life for so many years. I was obsessed with running and I was I was pretty good at it just based on effort like I don't think I was an unbelievable talent by any means but it was just for me it's sort of multifaceted like I know anyone who's passionate about anything whether it's like a a game or a sport or um, I mean just insert anything there's so many layers to it that that keeps me coming back and I think part of it is like I really I really operate well when I've got some form of structure in my life like whether it's a work structure um, or a structure to make sure I'm going out with my kids, and I think one of the best ways I've found to get structure is is in and around exercise. And for me, for ages, I was just going out a few times a week, and I'm like, oh, I feel like going for a run today. I'll do that. I feel like going to the gym today. I'll do that. And it was, I mean, it was good. I felt fit. I felt healthy. I was enjoying it mostly. Uh, I mean, there's always some days where you finish up and you're like, that was unenjoyable, but. Um, I think what I missed was having like a structured running plan that actually served a purpose. And so, cause I'm doing so much running coaching and and each week I'll sit down and I'll plan like a week of an athlete's training that I'm helping, like mostly marathon runners, community level marathon runners. I would write the training program and just start getting the bug for myself. Like, Oh, this looks so good. Just seeing the phase that I was putting them into and the sessions that I was doing and why I was doing it. I was like, Oh, I'd be kind of. Kind of interesting just to see if I put this same level of structure into my own running what level I could get at with in the marathon because I'd never really targeted the marathon properly before so that was one and then just the excitement of seeing improvement when you when you lay down a couple of weeks of training especially because I'd never been like the last five years I hadn't really been doing anything too too structured uh, or too specific I wasn't really getting a chance to see any improvement but then over like I started doing some preparation in about January. And then by sort of early February, mid-February, I was like, man, like <laughs> this, is, this is incredible how much more comfortable like whether it was four or four-minute 20Ks felt compared to what it did six weeks earlier. So I think it's a combination of just feeling good with structure, feeling good physically and seeing that improvement. Um, and, dude, like there's no – I don't think there's a better way to start your day than getting out for like a long run, especially when, when the sun's shining, um, like blue skies, maybe a little bit cool, I come home and I'm just like a better bloke. So I mean, it's just it's all ticks, which is yeah, which is good. But you you've come from like a different background to me. I remember us going for a, a run on one of our road trips in London. It was the first time we ran together. And bro, you just like you were you were pretty pretty thick in the sense that you'd spent a lot of time in the gym. Your biceps looked good. You had a large torso. You still do. But I remember, I remember starting to go out for a run with you there, and thinking, "Man, he's he's got a decent engine on him for a bloke that size." But, but it's like your your running seems to have gone to a new level, especially over like the last probably two and a half years.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks, bro. No, It's um, I'm really enjoying the journey. Actually, like um, just the consistency, you know, like the whole compound interest sort of mantra of just turning up every week and um. I've been I've been running on Tuesday nights at this run club just down here in Manly, which has been really, really great addition because we, we just push each other pretty hard and there's some really good runners down there. Um, and it's one of those things that's like, you may not see progression in six weeks or three months, maybe even six months, but it's like almost like a year or two year thing. Um... Yeah, I think I I ran the Gold Coast half hour, and um, I think I think my yeah I beat my last time this time last year by like six minutes, <laughs> like, like a you know like a K in a bit or whatever. Um, and man, like I'm a community amateur runner, but it's just uh, it's just cool seeing the journey and you know and just like I said, compounding those sessions and those kilometers and just improving steadily um yeah it really is a metaphor for for life uh and the training and the discipline and yeah I suppose like it just translates to so, so many other things whether it's business or relationships or just life in general you know just showing up and putting the joggers on and getting out there um and as you can imagine that's why it's such a popular sport and Millions of people around the world continue and love love their running every day, you know.
0: It's interesting just to see how it correlates to other areas of your life as well. Like I reckon one of the best things that I ever did was get involved in a sport that I was passionate about from a young age because especially in a sport like running, you've yeah, sure, you can get by a natural talent for a little while, but unless you're putting in the work and figuring out, okay, like what's the best training to do for the distance I'm trying to run? How do I recover well? How do I get out there and actually feel good while I'm doing it? How do I be consistent? How do I push through physical pain and, um, you know, mental discomfort when I'm out there in the, um, you know, in in the deep part or the hard part, the latter stages of a race? There's so many facets of of running, like you just said, that correlate beautifully. And I'm interested, like looking at the world of comedy, which I'm heavily involved in now, probably to the same degree as what I was with my running years ago, It's interesting just to see the different approaches that people bring to comedy, Like, there's, there's like two ends of the spectrum, like everything where you'll have people like myself who I really thrive on discipline. So my rule is I've got a minimum of, of two nights a week. I have to be out there. And on those two nights, if I can do sort of two gigs, it means I'm getting four gigs done. And then you come home and I'll always record the sets. So I'll try and pay attention to like, okay, how's my body language? How's my tone? What was the atmosphere in the audience? um where did it hit what joke was rubbish where did I bomb and um and then just like a combination of that and then also just spending some time writing spending some time just sitting there being aware of like if I say something funny or hear something funny take note of it uh actually you're you're I often bring you up in regards to your photography because I remember just spending some time with you over in Italy seeing you see something you like and and you were just aware like with that camera you sort of had to be a little bit more aware because you might miss a an opportunity for a good shot. And I know you were only ever doing it as a hobby more than like a profession, but you still had to have that, have that certain mindset. And I think the same thing applies with comedy is you can come into the comedy world and yet your senses are just naturally a little bit turned up. Like something might be funny, something might be serious, something might be scary, but just trying to find the angle of funny in that. And then on the other side of the spectrum, bro, like you literally have people like that who are um, you know, coming from it from that more type A personality for lack of a better term. And then you've got literally like drug addicts and alcoholics and people who have never had structure and people who are just in the middle of chaos. And there's there's no one perfect size. Like you'll have people on this side who are way less funny than people on this side and vice versa. And so like just trying to navigate, okay, how do I improve this? Uh, what's the right way to approach it? And And also like there's a little bit of magic that takes place in it as well. Like I, I, dude, you know, I, I love Bob Dylan. And I was watching a 2004 interview with him on 60 minutes today. And someone said to him, uh, yes, I've heard you say that you can't write those songs anymore. Like, is that true? And he's like, yeah, I can't anymore. And the guy's like, Oh, what do you mean? Like, doesn't that make you upset? And he's like, Oh, have you heard the lyrics that I was writing back in the sixties? That were it was like magic. It was, I don't think that was me writing those songs. Like I don't think people can write that kind of music. And There's all, and I say that just to emphasize this idea that there's also some like creative magic that you, some people are able to tap into in a far more effective way that you'll, you'll watch someone on stage and they're saying the right things. And then for whatever reason, you're like, ah, it's not really, it's not converting to funny. And then every now and then you'll see someone get up there and they're a little bit all over the shop, but, but it, it feels more real and more honest and, um, I don't know. So I, I always find it interesting trying to compare a field like comedy, or see how my approach to co- uh, running translates into another one of these passions. It's just a. I think it's part of the part of the fun. It's part of what keeps you coming back for it because you're just constantly trying to unravel. Like, all right, what what was it that went well? What was it that went badly? You know.
1: Yeah, bro. Lots to digest there. I um when you were talking about finding that spark or inspiration or that magic, um, what came up was this idea of, of the muse. Um, I believe it's, is it maybe that ancient Greek kind of philosophy of, of inspiration and it's the, uh, the origin of the word music and museum and um, yeah, to tap into that muse, that mythical, beautiful creature that inspires us You know, it's often sort of a beautiful individual who might be that inspiration, uh, that muse. Um, but it's, it's just a metaphor really for what inspires us. And I suppose having a relationship with that muse is something that's really deep and, and sometimes lacking in my life, um, creativity, connection with my body. I really enjoy dance and dancing and it doesn't matter how good you are, but I just enjoy tapping into that element of the muse for me personally. Um, you mentioned photography earlier. There's an element of like that flow state when you're running, you know, and tapping, running with that muse with that, you know, I think that makes sense. Um, so yeah, I suppose there's food for thought there and just like, How can we build a relationship with the muse, you know, she's there in everyone's life, but she's sometimes, or we disconnect from her, you know, and, um, maybe she, maybe we kick her out of the house every now and then often for maybe years on end, um, when we get caught up in too much structure and too much order and too much security and safety. Yeah, this has been, these have been big themes that have come up in my life uh, this year, actually. Um, probably the last few years, but I'm just like expressing it now. Um, and I use the word she deliberately because what I've come to understand as well is that it's the feminine element of the universe. It's the yin to my masculine yang and like you i i love structure and order and my life is very structured and ordered almost to the extreme or overly and um you know i get up 5 30 and i go to the gym like pretty much every day um and like yeah my roommate jonno like thinks i'm like mentally insane to have this level of discipline kind of thing you know and um like i order my meals from this really awesome healthy place here on the beaches and like they come every sunday and like it's just structure and order and routine but it comes at the price i'm realizing and the price is um that relationship with my muse or my feminine the feminine, uh, energy in the, in, in the world, in the universe. Um, and I think this is probably a theme I'm speaking for myself, but probably common with a lot of men. Um, and it's very easy to get home and be tired and turn on the TV and fall back to those numbing practices, distractions but then the muse isn't invited back into our life. And so, yeah, there's so many of those. It's not about being a a master artist or creating master pieces or anything like that, but it's just what or how can you tap into that creative flow? Even it was interesting listening to you talk about your comedy and getting up there and still recording it and coming home and having that structure and going, twice a week um but then i suppose when you're at the cafe and you just have like you overhear something or you have that spark of inspiration or it's like oh that's such a great joke as we all sometimes hear or have or thought that is that being struck by the news or what also the ancient greeks would refer to as um i think it's mercury perhaps and um Mercury is the God of like, uh, I think that sort of fortune in the wings and being struck by that, that type of energy.
0: Yeah, man. It's so interesting. Like the whole idea of the, the creative process is one that's just it's so fascinating. There's so many good books, but I'm, I'm so far down the rabbit hole of a bloke that you're going to be familiar with. I think in Rick Rubin, um, I listened to a number of his podcasts over the last couple of months, and I, I got his book called "The Creative Act," where he just he pretty much just delves into okay, like what is the creative process? How do we keep being creative? And I'm doing such a disservice to it. It's because it's one of those books that it's written almost like a devotional in the sense that he'll have a topic on one page. I'm listening to the audio book, but from what I hear, this is how it's sort of set out. And he'll have a thought like tapping into creativity, and then he'll spend a page just explaining okay like what does this look like and man if there's one it's just such a it's such a hard thing to explain like how to how to tap into creativity because all of the elements that we've just touched on seem to be at play and some people seem to tap into it really well and have the talent to not only tap into it but bring something back out like tap into the muse to, to use your words um I don't know if you've spent that much time listening to to Rick Rubin, but between Rick Rubin, Bob Dylan, I feel like I'm really attracted to these people because they've got a certain way with words, Rick Rubin, especially just the way he speaks. He's so clear. Um, I, I don't know. Certain people just seem to have a language to speak about the musing and creativity that a lot of others don't. And I mean, you only have to see the names of the people that Rubin's worked with. Like, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Kanye West. I mean, there's literally anyone who's anyone in the uh, in a big sense or in a recognisable sense in the music scene has, has sort of rubbed shoulders with Rick Rubin. And it's it's very strange because you'll look at one particular artist, whether it's like a musician, a painter, uh, um, a comedian, whatever, and you've heard the saying, one hit wonder. Some people can do something once and can't replicate it, Whereas Rick Rubin seems to be able to partner up with certain people in different genres of music and go, ah, oh, what about this? And to hear him talk about it, it's it's kind of mind-blowing because it, it seems it seems a little bit like magic that a bloke can go to not just one artist, but multiple, or literally probably hundreds or close to, and just draw out whatever it is that they need to tap into with with their particular kind of music he wouldn't say those words from what I understand he would more see himself as as one of the tools in the process of helping unpack that creative process but I mean it just adds to it it adds to like the perception of genius the fact that he recognizes that I mean if I was in his shoes I'd be walking around like I'm the king because I'm Rick Rubin who's helped out all these people but I don't know he seems to have a respect for for what that creative process is and I mean, it's no surprise that that people have been speaking about it for centuries because it's really hard to to get the language to explain it clearly.
1: Yeah, I think I need to acquaint myself a bit more with um, Rick Rubin and his philosophies. Um, I've watched a couple of documentaries and a couple of of interviews with him. Um, I know he's like quiet or deeply spiritual, and for me, creativity, this whole thing, this whole conversation is just connection to spirituality. Um, and allowing that flow of the universe, of of God, which I just mean life or whatever you want to call it, flowing through you. And there's no I'm not like I don't know if there's one there's no method or way or dogma. It's just for, like for Rick Rubin, from what I've seen and watched, it's just sitting and getting quiet and still. And that's, the, I guess, that math, masculine path of meditation and letting it flow, letting that energy flow. And I believe he lives in Hawaii and next to the ocean and has these, you know, a lot of, uh, he's in the right environment. You know, the environment's really important as well. I heard uh, just as a side note the other day, an awesome piece of wisdom, but like whilst we are creators of our own lives, we are very much co-creators as well. It's all good me having that will and determination, but I'm also the product of my environment and co-create with my friends and family and just strangers on the street, really. Like we're all co-creating together. Yeah. And then you mentioned the word genius as well, which, um, stems, I believe it's Greek as well, or Latin, uh, yeah, apologies if that's incorrect, but, um, the word or the story, uh, or the word genie, which, um, I guess is popularized with the genie in the bottle, but the Greek mythology behind that is that we all have our own inner genie or genius. And again, it's just building that relationship with our inner genius. And it's not so much that one in a million people out there are geniuses, the Einsteins and the Elon Musks of the world. We're, we all have our own genius. Yeah, we all have our own genius. Is, is I strongly believe that. Um so yeah, it's all like all of this is just—it's really—it's spiritual, man. It's spiritual practice, you know. You getting up there and working in your comedy and being on that journey, um, yeah. I, I believe it's a spiritual one, as as tends to be most things in life,
0: Dude, It's such a good point. I was actually thinking as you are explaining that, like, um, obviously spending so much time in the church, which which I have in the past and have started to again recently. One of the things that I was really unattracted by or really put off by was people who were all religion and seemed to lack any real um, like unity with whatever spirit they claimed to represent. They, they had all the practice and they were saying all the right things. They were doing the right things. Um, and it appeared as though they were like religious in, in that dogmatic sense of the word. But then you like the, the fruit of their behavior or lack of a better term, there was, there seemed to be a disconnect between um, what they were saying and doing and what they were claiming to represent. And then the flip side of that, which probably, I, I don't know if I'd say it puts me off just as much, but but maybe when you get to it is there's like that real woo-woo, crazy in your face spirituality with people who who have none of the structure. And it's, it's pretty much just like a, just getting blown by the wind. And I think, I don't know if I would choose either one of those, but like then you'll meet a, a certain person. I've got a friend here, Nick, um, I think I've told you about him before, man. Like he, he lost his daughter in in like a tragic accident. He's only, he's our age. And like so many people who use tragedy to to mold them and shape them, he's he's not bitter, he's not cynical. Um, he's like a passionate Christian guy. And what I mean by that is, I mean, he's at church and he's doing the, the, the so-called religious stuff. But then, you know, those people that you just rub shoulders with and you're like, ah, oh, like whatever you're saying, you believe you, you don't. I, I can tell just by looking at you that there's something deeper going on here. So it's funny how well that correlates to to like the creative process in life is sort of to go back to what I was trying to say before. You've got the structure and you've got that free spirit, and it seems to be like that perfect blend of two, which in the the world of Christianity, I think is the most attractive form of Christianity, and in the world of creativity, it seems to be the most sort of long lasting form of creativity.
1: Yeah, um, I heard a really beautiful metaphor of this the other week, and it's the idea of a a river and um, that masculine element of the river is the banks and the rocks and the soil. And naturally, a river needs structure and its support and direction. Because without it, as you can imagine, the river is just going to flood or it's just going to be chaos or it's just going to go everywhere and it's going to cause death and destruction possibly. On the other hand, if there's too much structure or perhaps like if humans intervene, for example, and it becomes like a dam or a a canal, then the river stops flowing altogether. Or it loses that creative element, where it just flows in one direction. So it's that beautiful balance, essentially, of the banks on the of the river, and also that creative flow of the water, yeah. the the feminine, and the masculine, or this is just yin and yang, you know, which keep keep coming to kind of thing like that. Are a Taoist principle. It's you know, it's the perhaps like the Jesus and the Mary type um archetypes as well divine feminine and masculine and um yeah this is i'm i'm just diving deeper and deeper into this topic um and in terms of like on a macro scale when it comes to like helping out the world or healing the world and having those bigger conversations philosophically it's about balancing these energies as well. You know, I like the um, I like the idea or the teaching of. Are you familiar with like what's called like the Kali Yuga? No, no. It's just this idea in the Hindu philosophy that we're living in like this dark time, um, and they have like these cycles of time, every, every like these eons of time. It's sort of every twenty thousand years or whatever it is. It's quite astrological, but. According to this philosophy, I suppose it overlaps a little bit with kind of like this Mayan philosophy of 2012 and things like that, where we live in certain ages. Similar to like the Bronze Age and the Golden Age and the Stone Age and things like this. But anyway, a lot of people suggest that we're in this like going through this time of darkness and unconsciousness and distraction and war and staring at our screens and yada, 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 the list goes on. And it's like, how can we get back into, how can we awaken collectively as a consciousness and then move into a more of a golden age or renaissance perhaps, a revival, to use a Christian word, resurrection. And it's about balancing these energies. And, you know, on a slight tangent and something that I've been thinking about recently, but like, for example, this whole third wave feminist movement, it's not about actually the divine feminine, it's simply more women stepping into their masculine and being like men. So you've just got more masculine energy in the world it's not about actually balancing the energies at all i hope that makes sense that's a slight tangent but something i've been thinking about recently um so yeah what are what are your thoughts on some of that bro
0: oh dude it's just i, I was about to say to you like as you're explaining this idea of masculine and feminine like i've heard those terms thrown around before but i didn't really understand the um you know what they represented like that yin and yang is a is a good comparison for me cuz i understand what you're saying but to hear about this third wave feminism being a, a way of essentially just these women tapping into a like the masculine elements of of their life, it seems even on a practical level, like it's it's very obvious because everything that like a third-wave feminist seems to desire is just equality in the sense that they want the same job titles or they want the same income or they want the same physical power or they want like insert whatever it is that like your stereotype type of a man. Has, you know, has had for, for however long they say they've had it. They say, no, that's what, that's what we want. And, and I've heard some people say it, it almost seems like a limitation on what they're actually capable of because the idea of them attempting to tap into this idea of masculinity, it's like, I don't know if I'm explaining this well or if it even really correlates uh, to, to what you're saying, but the idea of trying to be the best version of yourself is a better idea than being like a second-rate version of someone else. And it seems as though when you speak about a third-wave feminist, they're they're, they're trying their best to be a second-rate version of something that already exists, which doesn't really seem to do any favours for anyone.
1: Yeah, no, it totally makes sense, man. And and, um, before I go on, like I got that teaching from a very um, conscious, spiritual female teacher, actually. Um, And she was expressing her desire for, You can't tear down a structure, you can't tear down an oppressor or patriarchy and just replace it with the same system, if that makes sense. Like it's still the exact same system. It's just changing the the, the, the 1% at the top of the pyramid. It's about creating circles, which I, I really like this mantra of circles, not pyramids. And that is the shape again of the circle is feminine a vagina, the womb, the curves of a woman's body is actually curvy. The moon, water, waves. Masculine structure or masculine shape is more direct, phallic, straight lines, even our bodies, you know, shoulders and hips and so on and so forth. So there's all these clues in nature as well, which I find really amazing. So, yeah, look, I... Um, for perhaps the um, the beautiful women listening to this, it's not... And the men. Like, it's not about... Um, like, it actually doesn't matter if the prime minister is male or female, if the system's still exactly the same. It's about actually turning the system into a circle, changing its entire shape. So, yeah, anyway, that's a bit of a tangent Um, because I know a lot of young women have been misled down that path of chasing the career and the dollars and, like, these masculine pursuits where, and it's not controversial to say, but, like, women are these miraculous, magical beings that have so many other more gifts that are sort of being denied under the guise of like masculine feminism. Anyway, (laughs) I don't know if we should go on further on that topic, but yeah.
0: Oh, it's definitely an interesting topic. Like I've noticed this since having kids and Jesse and I choosing like a more traditional role in the sense of what we're doing with the kids. Like Jesse's your classic um, stay at home mum, for lack of a better term. She's looking after the kids. I'm working from home. Um, I mean, Jessie, yeah chuck a little bit of modern day woman in there because she's running a small business on top of that. But I, I mean, people are, people are shocked and it's not as uncommon in our friendship group down here. We've got a couple of young families and taking a fairly similar role. But it's it's shocking to some people that a, a woman or Jessie would choose to sacrifice her career as a teacher, which she loves and she's really good at, in order to raise a family. Because obviously that means less income, it means less opportunity to buy whatever house it is that you want to buy, you know, insert all the things that so many of us love. Um, But it is, it's strange that it was, what, 50, 60 years ago that, you know, in in Western society as well, that that was pretty much the the way that it went. I'm not saying that, um, like, Jessie's career doesn't matter. I'm not saying that what she uh, wants to go back and do isn't important but to sort of emphasize your point even more the idea that like that there's just so much molding that takes place in these two young lives that we've got here that we've been put in charge of that just in her opinion is so much more important than any career that she that, that she could have and I know I've got close friends as well who completely disagree with this and they're they're pursuing you know they're, they're both working full-time jobs and making that work as well and both I'd say both are incredible parents um but it just is interesting. Uh, I think I'm talking more about the perception of it now. It seems very strange that a a woman would sacrifice career uh, in the name of family. And it's it's strange to me that that is strange. Guys, so sorry to do this to you if you're enjoying this conversation. Unfortunately, the last 15 minutes that there was supposed to be to this conversation was i'm not a hundred percent sure how to explain it the audio quality went horrific i contacted the podcasting platform that i use for this particular service and they said that it had something to do with a little glitch in the system at the time that we were using it so unfortunately the 15 minutes that should have been left of this conversation is mia i mean i could have posted it here but the quality of it it just went absolutely horrific and I didn't want to subject you to it. The first 40 minutes was so good, uh, in my opinion, that I didn't want to keep it to myself and not post it. So I'm really sorry. Uh, hopefully it's the last time this ever happens, any kind of technical glitch like this. But I really hope you enjoyed. If you did like it, don't stress. Pally is going to be on here again. So we'll make sure we uh, tick off the stuff that we're going to talk about in the last 15 minutes. Thanks again for being here, guys. I really hope you enjoyed what was there of that chat and looking forward to bringing you another episode next week.